Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Our guest today is Andrew Gordon, the managing attorney of Gordon Law Group. Andrew and his team focus on tax controversy and compliance, cryptocurrency law, FTC defense, internet law, and corporate litigation. He is a regular on our show and also our full service partner. So if you need any crypto tax work done, he's definitely your guy. Andrew, thank you as usual for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself briefly for anybody that uh, doesn't know who you are? Sure. So um, my name again is Andrew Gordon. I'm an attorney. I'm also a CPA. Um, and my practice mainly concentrates on crypto and taxes, um, which hopefully many of you listening today, that's uh, what you're interested in and why you're listening. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we help a lot of different individuals and token projects and businesses uh, with everything from crypto compliance to also uh, audits and inv- investigations. So uh, really the, the full gamut uh, when it comes to crypto tax. Um, and so looking forward to talking about these different topics today, but just as a quick disclaimer, it's not legal or tax advice. So if you do have any specific questions, uh, reach out to, to us or to your uh, tax professional. Definitely. And so today uh, we're going to basically be focusing on DeFi because it's been around for a while, but it's really taken the crypto space by storm. Everything seems to be about DeFi nowadays, and there's not a lot of information out there about DeFi and taxes. I know you've pushed out some content. You and your um, team have pushed out some content, but that's what we're going to focus on today. Um, I want to start by talking about liquidity pools and liquidity swaps, which are common occurrences in the DeFi space. Now, can you explain a little bit what a liquidity pool and a liquidity swap is, Andrew? Sure. And you're absolutely right. It seems like 2021 is the year of DeFi. Um, DeFi is not necessarily new, but we've seen an explosion of different platforms, systems, and just an increase of usage uh, by investors in different DeFi platforms. And so just even take a step back and uh, give a little bit of information about DeFi as a whole. In general, what we're talking about is uh, systems or platforms that allow the exchange of cryptocurrency tokens um, without a centralized exchange. Uh, or a system that basically acts much like a bank does, where you have groups of individuals who loan uh, their crypto and thus create liquidity, and then groups of individuals uh, who want to borrow uh, crypto, um, and they can then collateralize that against their other holdings. Um, and so at the core, DeFi in many ways replaces a lot of the conventional bank structure where you have a bank sitting in the middle um, making loans and uh, custodying funds. And historically, banks have made a lot of money by doing this. Um, some of the largest companies in the world are financial institutions um, as a result of profiting from the spread. And so DeFi seeks to um, not necessarily have the middleman as the bank, but to have instead smart contracts act to create that type of event. Um, where you're tying people that have funds with those seeking funds. And instead of the middleman, the bank making all the profit, you're able to um, distribute more of that to those making the loans. So that's just kind of a a general overview of of DeFi to start. And so, Sal, to answer your question, now a lot of people, we're seeing more people than ever get into DeFi and specifically making loans or contributing their crypto to DeFi platforms. And also, unfortunately, a lot of these platforms really haven't thought about tax. 
um, when they were uh, setting up their systems. And so there's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all answer as to how DeFi is taxed, because it really depends on how the platforms are structured, and in some cases, even how the blockchain events um, uh, occur based on uh, the platform. Overall, though, in some cases, we see investors place their cryptocurrency into a platform, and in return, they get a different token, a token that represents what they've initially put in. Some common examples are Aave and Compound. You put in ETH and you get AETH or CETH back. And this now represents your interest in the liquidity pool. Uh, there is no explicit guidance from the IRS as to whether or not this is a taxable event or how to even report that for, the, uh, for that matter. However, uh, it's our view and we believe the conservative position would be treating that as a, a taxable event, a disposition of one asset and the purchase of another. So if you're entering into a liquidity pool where you get a different token back, uh, an A token, a C token, whatever it may be, that conservatively would be seen as a taxable event. And, and that probably comes to the chagrin of many people that are listening that have done these liquidity swaps and, and put their tokens in liquidity pools because not only are the you know DeFi platforms not thinking about this, but the people who are trading on these DeFi platforms and, and enacting these liquidity swaps, they're definitely not thinking about it, at least from the people I've seen discuss it and do these kind of swaps. I doubt they're thinking, hey, I'm disposing of this because sometimes they're putting in large amounts of a coin into a liquidity right. pool and they're only making a little bit of profit. Let's say they're putting in like uh, 10 ETH or something like that. It's, sometimes it could be more than that, but let's say they're putting in that much ETH. That's a, that's a large amount of ETH to show as a disposal. You know, that's, that's a large disposal, whereas they might not even think they're actually disposing of that ETH. Especially if you have a low cost basis, because mm -hmm. uh, the gain or loss will be the difference between your cost basis and the fair market value at the time that you put it yeah. into the liquidity pool. Yeah. So with ETH where it is uh, in price, you know, nearing all-time highs, um, you know, in the last couple of months at all-time highs, um, you're absolutely right. A lot of people don't realize that placing their ETH or other cryptocurrency into that uh, liquidity pool is going to be a taxable event, which means if you bought it for less than that value, you're going to have a taxable gain, even though you don't have fiat or funds as a result. You may just conceptually be thinking, well, I'm just still holding this token. I'm just now earning interest. But in fact, a conversion occurred. So conservatively, um, especially because there's no like-kind exchange treatment applied in current years, um, there's really uh, a tough argument that that wouldn't be a taxable event because you now have this different token. Um, but you could take a more aggressive position and consider it more akin to a swap. Um, but uh, from our analysis, we think that the IRS, although they haven't issued any guidance on this, is going to view it as a taxable disposition. I mean, how do you think the IRS will react to these kinds of liquidity swaps and liquidity pools? Do you think it's going to take like five, 10 years for us to start seeing the IRS start penalizing, I guess, the people that aren't reporting these kind of swaps as they should be? Or how do you think it's going to happen? Yeah. So we've seen more IRS enforcement in, in the last couple of years um, than ever before. Um, we've also seen more guidance um, being released by, by the IRS. Uh, they released guidance in 2014, and then it wasn't again until 2019 
um, where they addressed airdrops and forks and then released an FAQ, uh, which they've been updating every now and then since. The IRS even recently um, has been requesting more documents from exchanges, uh, Kraken, Poloniex, uh, Circle, uh, Gemini. So we're seeing just overall more action, more attention from the IRS than ever before. But in order for them to properly do their job, taxpayers need to know and understand the laws. And when it comes to areas such as DeFi, things are changing rapidly. Um, and so it's crucial that the IRS issues guidance. And so I'm, I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful that they will, um, in, in coming months, hopefully not years, issue guidance on how these different events are taxed. Uh, that said, most practitioners look to just the general rules regarding property. And if you have one asset and then you have a, you convert it or exchange it for a different asset, you have a disposition. And in the case of liquidity pools, if we just go with the standard types of um, arguments and analysis, we had uh, one type of token, and now we have interest in a liquidity pool. This is a different type of asset. So although there may not be explicit guidance, uh, often practitioners look to the existing framework that applies to property and try to analogize or apply that to, to the areas that we uh, have in DeFi. So I'm hopeful they do, but if not, um, there is still a lot out there that we can use to work with. Now, one of the differences between a decentralized exchange and a centralized exchange, I mean, a centralized exchange would be something like Kraken or Coinbase who have sent information to the IRS. Mm -hmm. A decentralized exchange isn't going to send, I mean, it's, is it impossible for a decentralized exchange to even send something to the IRS? Because there's not really a central party involved in a decentralized exchange, right? That's a, that's a great question. And it's an interesting one as well. Uh, and a lot of people use decentralized exchanges thinking that they're, um, they're in some ways pseudo anonymous and that uh, no one would be able to obtain the records. Um, but just using basic blockchain uh, analysis, um, even though it's decentralized, there's a trail often. So in some cases, the IRS doesn't need to get all the records or often people use centralized exchanges as on or off ramps to decentralized exchanges. And so by getting the on or off ramps, the IRS is then able to figure out what happened in between. Right. So it's still possible to get that information, but it might not necessarily be from the exchange itself. Whereas in like Kraken or Coinbase, there's some figure involved uh, in Kraken and Coinbase that is sending that information out to the IRS. Whereas with a decentralized exchange, you're saying the... IRS and, and kind of other institutions that are interested could find that information on their own more likely. Yeah, absolutely. And so we talked a little bit about the taxable types of DeFi platforms, um, but they're not all necessarily a taxable conversion when you uh, deposit your funds. There are some platforms that instead of giving you a different token, they just custody your funds and then uh, essentially distribute the equivalent of interest. And so in those cases, what we're seeing is that you still hold the same token, but that the volume increases because you're receiving interest. And in those events, it's not necessarily a capital uh, gain or loss when you deposit it because there's not a swap, but the receipt of interest or, or the increase in your volume of a token is instead taxable income. 
So depending on how the platform works, there could be different tax implications. Right. There's also staking uh, is another thing that's been happening that's that's popular. A lot more exchanges are picking it up. Plenty of other exchanges have the ability to stake. Centralized and decentralized exchanges have staking, of course. And so there's some confusion because some of these places handle it differently. So I, I talked a little bit about this earlier off recording, but Gemini, for example, handles their staking differently than BlockFi, for example. And in Gemini, you're putting your staking in a separate account, but you're not technically disposing of it. Whereas in BlockFi, it does seem like you're disposing of the crypto that you're staking. So does that matter that all of these exchanges kind of handle it differently where maybe you're sending it to a specific wallet to stake it, or maybe it's in your account and you're staking it? These are things that happen behind the scenes that maybe people don't realize are happening, but they could probably impact how the IRS views them, I would assume, right? Absolutely. And it's uh, very similar to what we're talking about with some of these DeFi platforms, what's happening behind the scenes. And uh, if they're converting your token or what they're doing can have taxable events. Um, Typically in the case of staking, placing one token onto a platform in order to stake it uh, is typically not a taxable event, but it could be if that asset was then uh, converted to something else. For instance, we talked about the different types of tokens that are sometimes given in exchange for liquidity pools. Mm -hmm. So if you deposit onto an exchange and then it's somehow changed, that may be a taxable event. Uh, A question that we were seeing um, more and more is with ETH and ETH2 Mm -hmm. um, and whether ETH to ETH2 would be taxable and then subsequently ETH2 staking, uh, how that's taxed. And it's kind of ambiguous because we're not all certain exactly how the transition from ETH to ETH2 will occur. But from what we understand, it's it's not going to be where there's two independent tokens Um, but that ETH2 will essentially replace the initial ETH. And if that's the case, then that seems to be like not a taxable event, more akin to the changing of the name of a token or the underlying um, infrastructure, but not the token itself. Like a a vet situation. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, And so if that's the way it actually unfolds, um, then that's, uh, I believe that it won't be a taxable event. But if we see it, actually roll out where ETH2 has a different price on ETH and you can hold your ETH or ETH2, then that may be a completely different situation. And that could be a taxable event. Um, So we'll just have to kind of see. And that's, again, to your point, these very specific behind the scenes types of things have tax implications. Um, And so perhaps even before you you stake or, or join a platform, contact a tax professional, contact the platform and look into the tax implications. Yeah, I think that's the best advice because there is so much ambiguity here. And, you know, if you're putting in a significant amount of money in crypto and you're doing a lot of these uh, different things that we were just talking about, like staking and liquidity swaps, these are actual financial events. It, it, it seems different probably because, you know, the older generations were more into stocks and stuff like that. Cryptos, it seems like a our generation thing, of course. And so they may not be even realizing while I'm doing these big financial events right now, while I'm going on these cool crypto websites and converting my, you know, there's a coin called Dracula and you go on their website and it's just like a a cutesy kind of website. But in reality, it's like, man, you're doing like a legitimate financial event here, which could incur some serious 
you know, capital gains or capital losses or whatever. So I really do think if, if people are doing a lot of this, uh, these, these kind of DeFi and these, these crypto events, they really should talk to a tax professional or at least get some guidance. Uh, there's plenty of resources out there. Uh, we have a subreddit. I think that's a really good place. The Bitcoin taxes subreddit. There's a good community there where uh, uh, people have a lot of information and just, just ask around before you make these big events, before you put in 10 grand or however much money you're putting in, you really got to um, be weary and, and be smart about it. Yeah, I think that's, that's all great advice. And um, clients and potential clients often ask me, what's the best way to minimize my taxes on crypto? Usually the best starting point is simple planning understanding the tax events. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about today, perhaps uh, putting ETH onto a liquidity pool, which will then yield a taxable transaction. Knowing that ahead of time, or perhaps doing some tax planning so that if it is a, a taxable conversion, maybe we're using uh, crypto that you have a loss or break even, rather than using the crypto that's in a unrealized gain. So just implementing some planning beforehand can yield a lot of tax savings. So that's actually a good segue because uh, I was talking to somebody and we were discussing an article that we saw where they were talking about how if you put up some cryptos, let's say you got some crypto in like 2016, you acquired it super cheap um, and you've held on to it this long and then you put it up for collateral and you get some cash, some, some fiat currency as a loan on that collateral. And the article that I read was talking about how you would kind of possibly avoid some serious long-term gains by doing that. Can you speak to that? Yes. Yeah. So um, as a general rule, taking a loan is not a taxable event. Mm. If you have uh, property or assets and then you take a loan against it, let's get out of the crypto world. Let's just talk, talk about, for instance, stocks or even just cash on hand. Um, if you had these assets and then you wanted to take a loan guaranteed or collateralized by those assets, that is not a taxable event. That's not the disposition of one asset for another. Um, if that collateral was called, different question, different answer. Um, but just taking a loan against your assets is not a taxable event. And so in the example of cryptocurrency, another good tax planning strategy, if you have, call it uh, Bitcoin, that's sitting in an unrealized gain position, and perhaps let's say these are short-term gains um, that will be taxed at a, at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. And you need funds, um, but you know, you're going to be able to pay it back in, in six months through other income. Then it may make sense to take a loan from tax perspective. It may make sense to take a loan against that crypto instead of converting it uh, and selling it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, because taking that loan is not a taxable event. Um, the repayment of the loan in the future if you need to pay that back in crypto um, or you have to exchange other crypto to pay it back, then that will be taxable. Um, if you dispose of crypto to pay interest, that will be taxable, but merely taking the loan um, will not be. And if you have a situation, for instance, where you're in a short-term gain position, sometimes from a tax perspective, you can have a lot of benefits by waiting until you're in a long-term position to then sell it. And if you can achieve uh, liquidity by taking a loan against it, that may be a good strategy. Um, but again, I just want to caution, it depends on the platform. If you are collateralizing your loan and they're going to give you, you give them ETH and they give you a different ETH back that represents uh, the ETH they're holding as collateral, mm -hmm. 
that may be a taxable event. So it depends on, again, how the platform interacts. But as a, a rule of thumb, um, if you can take loans against your crypto, that in itself wouldn't be the disposition of, of, of the asset. So meaning that, you know, if it's not a disposition, then also, because you kind of touched on this, you said if it's a short-term unrealized gain and you kind of want to wait until it's a long-term gain to really dispose of it so you can get less taxes. So are you kind of saying that, you know, if I had some Bitcoin and I put it up for collateral and depending on how the um, exchange or the entity treats it and what they give you in return, if it's not a disposition, then when you pay off the loan and you get that crypto back, is the acquisition date and the cost basis the same as when you put it up for collateral then? Well, right. You're, if you put up collateral and let's say it's not a taxable event because you didn't get some, a different token, but as you're just putting up collateral, yeah. then that holding period and that cost basis stays the same. Hmm. So say today I put in one Bitcoin that I bought at a thousand dollars cost basis, uh, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in six months, um, it, it's, I pay back the loan and that's returned to me that I still have that original cost base. Wow, interesting. In, that in is, that. Yeah. That's very interesting. And that, I mean, I, I really think if you're savvy and you really research this stuff and maybe again, have a, a, a really good professional in your corner, then you could really, there really are some things you can do for some good tax planning and, and saving strategies that you can take advantage of. I think part of the problem though, is that for people that aren't informed or people that don't have a good cryptocurrency advocate in their corner is that they might be getting screwed for lack of better terms, you know, part mm-hmm. of my French, but they may be getting screwed by some of these events that they don't realize are incurring gains and, and, it's just kind of unfortunate that there is that you, you really have to be seven. You have to put the work into it, but I guess that's part of investing in general, right? Crypto right. is investing right. and you really need to do your work before you start investing. So I want to move on to the next big DeFi thing, which <laughs> took 2021, I guess, by storm. And that was, and they've been around for a while as well, but those are NFTs. 2021, even mainstream audiences heard the term NFT. So first off, can you just explain a little bit about what an NFT is for anybody listening that's maybe not familiar? Sure. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. And um, I guess the best way to explain it is in distinguishing it from Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, which are generally fungible. Mm -hmm. Fungible meaning that if I gave you Bitcoin um, today, it would be no different than the Bitcoin someone else gives you. Or if I give you a fraction of Bitcoin, it's no different than another fraction of Bitcoin. It's all the same. It's all fungible. Mm-hmm. Um, that differs from NFTs, which um, are non-fungible. They're unique. So an individual token has an identifier and uh, is tied to that token. And no one is the same unless the contract specifies that there's duplicates. Um, so if I give you an NFT token, um, it is specific um, versus a, a different NFT token. And that way you can trade, sell, exchange those individual tokens, um, and they have unique value based on what it represents. Whereas something like Bitcoin or Ethereum, all Bitcoin and Ethereum has the same value. It may differ slightly by exchange, but the um, value itself is the same um, if it was 0.1 Bitcoin or 0.2 or 1 Bitcoin. It's all the same. 
Okay. Now, when I think of NFTs and when I see people trading NFTs, I think to myself, this is pretty easy to determine what's happening here. I mean, if you spend $5,000 on an NFT, that's your cost basis. If you sell it for $10,000, those are your proceeds. You've made $5,000. I know crypto is not always that easy. And mm-hmm. I'm probably going to bring up an event in a few minutes that might um, challenge that. But is it that easy generally that you buy an NFT, that's your cost basis, whatever you spend, you sell it, those are your proceeds, and they're taxed just kind of like most crypto is? Yes, in many ways. Um, but there are some other pitfalls to be aware of. So almost always you're going to be buying an NFT with a, a different cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And so as we talked about before, that purchase is generally a, a taxable event. It's the disposition of one asset for another. So mm-hmm. if you're buying an NFT with Ethereum, you just sold your Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And so again, there's some tax planning opportunities and you should be aware of what the tax consequences are. That price then sets your cost basis in that NFT. And then you're absolutely right. When you sell it, uh, your gain or loss is the difference between the cost basis and that sales price. But there we're also gonna add some more complexity. In typical crypto, uh, you follow the same property and stock rules of long-term, short-term capital gains, where short-term capital gains are at your ordinary tax rate. Long-term is at 0, 15, or 20%. Enter the world of NFTs. Um, If an uh, an NFT is considered a collectible, collectibles are taxed at a special rate. Hmm. Uh, And collectibles, the long-term tax rate is up to uh, a maximum of 28%. Hmm. So depending on on your tax bracket and whether the NFT is considered a collectible, it may have a completely separate tax rate uh, to be aware of a higher tax rate than a typical. But it doesn't affect affect short-term though. Correct. So now, of course, the next question is obviously what determines what is a collectible? Well, that, that's that's a good question. Um, and and so in, in the area of NFTs, that's a, um, kind of a developing definition. And we're all hoping and optimistic that the IRS issues some guidance. Um, who knows if they will? But I, I think just as a general rule of thumb, we've seen some uh, NFTs that seem to fit that pattern. For example, Top Shot which was very popular NBA, basically sports cards on mm-hmm. NFTs. Um, pretty cool. If, you, if you're hearing this for the first time, uh, check it out. Um, but they're basically sports cards um, in a cryptocurrency or a blockchain for- format. Hmm. And so just as a sports card would be generally considered a collectible, the NFT should be uh, as well. So something like that, I, I think, is um, arguably a collectible but perhaps that would differ from something that's more a specific work of art. Um, and it really depends on the facts, but, you know, maybe a, an artwork created by an artist or, um, you know, an individual tweet that one person only sold one of them, you know, something like that. Yeah. But the, the definition is, it's hard to say. Yeah, that's uh, that's wild because by the the very definition of NFTs, you would think most of them would be considered collectibles. I mean, I guess it it's not a huge distinction for average folks who are trading NFTs. I think the people that need to worry are the people that are buying like people's art for sixty nine million dollars. <laughs> that is 
an NFT where you have to worry about is this collectible or not? Because if it is collectible, that's going to be a, a higher long-term tax rate if you do dispose of it, you know, after a year. So they have to worry about that, certainly, because that's a high amount there. I was at the Miami blockchain conference and they had an entire section for NFT art. Um, and so, you know, I do think, especially as uh, the art world has gone through a, a lot of different uh, issues with forgeries, NFTs in a lot of ways make sense. So I think they're here to stay. Now, will they have the same uh, attention and exponential increase in prices that we saw in the first half of 2021? That I'm a little bit more skeptical on. Um, I think that in some ways we were seeing an NFT bubble. Um, mm. So, you know, I think that that's going to stabilize more. Um, but, you know, I, I do think overall it, it's here to stay. Interesting. Interesting. I mentioned that I was going to challenge my own kind of notion of, you know, it's an easy kind of cut and dry cost basis for some proceeds. Uh, you know, there was recently a Coindesk conference, a virtual Coindesk conference that I attended, and they were giving out this coin called Desk. It was their own coin that they created called Desk, and you could buy NFTs with it. In that case, let's say I bought a random NFT with this desk that I acquired simply by clicking a link. That's how you acquire the desk. You were in one of their um, presentations and somebody shared a link and said, uh, you know, claim this desk. You clicked it. There were some technical difficulties, but after that, you, you claim the desk and then, you know, you buy an NFT with it. That is that just like a zero cost acquisition at that point? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I wish the CoinDesk people would have contacted me for some tax planning before they, <laughs> they did that. Um, it sounds to me like basically an airdrop occurred uh, with a, a claim requirement. Mm -hmm. And so when you claim those desk coins, mm. that sounds like a taxable event. Interesting. How much income was that? Well, it depends uh, the value of those coin tokens, which might be very minimal. Might, might, be, be, might be nothing. Yeah, might, might be, be nothing. nothing. Yeah. Right. Might be a penny. Um, but in general, you, you had an ascension of wealth at that time. You received something new of value. And so that was an income event. Then when you exchanged it for the NFT, mm -hmm. maybe the price didn't change at all. Or maybe in, the, in that hour, a couple hours, mm -hmm. everyone was clamoring for desk tokens. Mm -hmm. and, and so everyone was, the prices of it was going up because people wanted the, the Beeple artwork. Um, and so in that case, then you'd have a taxable event when you exchange the, uh, the tokens for the NFT. Hmm. And then the co cost basis of that NFT would be the fair market value of those desk coins. Hmm. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully the technical difficulties uh, stopped me from claiming too much of the desk. And <laughs> I, I didn't really have enough for NFTs or as, as far as I know, I didn't have enough. Maybe I'm sitting on a nice uh, chunk of uh, desk token and I'm a rich man and I'll also be on an island not having to do this podcast, that's probably very unlikely, but you never know in crypto. You never know. All right, great. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. That was a wealth of really good information about DeFi and taxes. I'm sure people listening are going to gain a lot of information from what you just said. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, discussing this with us today. Absolutely, Sal. It was a pleasure as always. And thank you very much for having me. Of course. Looking forward to talking to you again in the near future, man. Sounds good. All right, everyone, thanks for listening to today's episode of the Bitcoin Taxes podcast. You can find out more information about today's guest by going to talk.bitcoin.tax. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could give us a positive review on whichever podcast platform you listen to the episode on. Don't forget, you can go to bitcoin.tax for any of your cryptocurrency tax calculation needs. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks again for listening.